Masechet Kitin Daf Ayin Zayin. We are going to complete the seventh pedic and begin the eighth pedic today. Amad Abaye Hakomodim Hechad Amad Lich Shetesehama Me Nartika Lichi Nafka Kamar La Lichi Mayit Belalia Have Get Lachar Mita. We're continuing a discussion of a get on uh, with a condition. And so Abaye is explaining different formulas, different wording. He says, everyone agrees that if a person says, here is your get, when the sun uh, comes out of its sheath, right? when the sun uh, rises, right, then this get will take effect. Everybody agrees that that language means that it will happen later on. Only once the sun rises, then the get will be effective. The nafkamina being that if the husband should die in the middle of the night, then the death would come first and the get afterwards. And they can have it, you cannot have a get after death because once the person dies, they are, the marriage is over. And so that would, that get would be invalid. However, if the husband says, here is your get, on condition that the sun rises, uh, then that's as if he said, from now, his your get is effective from now, um, uh, on condition that the sun will rise. Um, so that's effective right now, as Rav says, anytime you say, Aminat, on condition, so that condition is just fulfilling that, that condition. It has to be fulfilled in some way. Same as saying, on condition that you pay me 200 zoos, on condition that the sky is blue, any condition that you want to put in, um, and so the get, here's your get now, as long as that condition will be fulfilled at some point in the future. So that happens right away. And so everyone agrees with those two formulas. However, the machloket is, if someone says, here is your get, if the sun rises. One opinion from the Tanaim agrees with Rabbi Yoseh, who says that the time of the get uh, proves when it should be effective. Since the time in the get is the date in the get is today, uh, therefore he means for the get to be effective now, not later on when the sun rises. And so therefore it's like you're saying, uh, here's your get from today, if I should die. From now, if I should die, um, because the date in the get, that's the effective date. However, the other opinion, who uh, does not agree with Rabbi Yosef, says that if the sun comes out is the same as simply saying, if I die without anything else, and therefore it does not mean, does not assume that it means the date in the get and it means now, but rather if and when it should happen in the future, and so therefore happens later on. So the, the first two formulations are clear, but this im teseh, that is ambiguous and subject to machloket. Next, the kitvut nu get li'ishti im lo bati mikan ve'ad shenem asar chodesh. This is the clause in the Mishnah where the husband said kitvut nu first, um, and only then he put the condition, if I don't come. If he says, if I don't come in now, from now and within the, 12, the next 12 months, then write and give a get, then surely 
the get has to be written and given after the 12 months. But in this case, if he wrote Kitvu Utnu first, this was uh, subject to Machloket. Rabbanan says this is also not good if he writes it before the 12 months is over. Whereas Rabbi Yosef says it is a valid, um, a valid get. Let's see why. Are we supposed to understand that according to Rabbi Yosef, when you have a condition, even if the condition is not fulfilled, then it's kosher? Because here he said, uh, we're assuming he means the same thing as Rabbanan, um, and, uh, and it means that uh, write it and give it after 12 months. And even though they wrote it, before 12 months is still good, so we could just ignore a condition. Is that what Biyose is saying? We explain, no. If, no. if you don't fulfill a condition, it would be pasul. But here, we assume that the condition is fulfilled, because look carefully at his words. He could have said, he should have said, if I don't come back in 12 months, then after that, I want you to write it and give it. Of course, so there, there you have to write it and give it after the 12 months is finished. But he didn't say that formula. Instead, he put the verbs first and, and said, write it and give it if I don't come back in 12 months. So here's what he meant. You can write it now. That's okay if you want to write it now. Get a head start. But don't give it unless I don't come back in 12 months. In that case, if they give it before 12 months, then it's certainly no good. The condition is not fulfilled yet. But the word kitvu is first in the sentence. So you could put the, put a comma around that. Kitvu, now. You could write it now. And then, tnu, only give it if I don't come back. That's how the Biyoseh parses that statement. But Rabbanan, how would Rabbanan explain it? La shanachi, la shanachi. Rabbanan says, no, it doesn't matter whether you put the verbs first or at the end. It means the same thing. The kitvu, tnu is together. And both of them have to be after the 12 months. It doesn't really matter that he said the verbs first. Um, um, he still, that has to be done. Both have to be done after 12 months. Next, Tenor Banan, Lachar Shavua Shana, Lachar Shana Chodesh, Lachar Chodesh Shabbat. Until now, we've been talking about a case where the husband says, If I don't uh, come back within 12 months, here is your get. But what if he says, If I don't come back after 12 months? So we'll see all different examples. If he says, If I, I don't come back after, a Shemitah, then this is your get. So he didn't say within a Shemitah. He says after Shemitah. So that includes some amount of time, but not forever. It doesn't mean forever after, not 50 years later. So how long after do we consider to be close enough that it's still within, like, you know, soon after? So the answer is one year. Um, if he says, if I don't come back after one after Shemitah, he has until uh, the, the end of Shemitah and then one more year that he has to come back, otherwise the get will be will take effect. If he says, here's your get if I don't come back after a year, then he has one month after the end of the year. If he says after a month, then he has one week at the end. So each one is proportional. We're going to assume like the next step down of a time period that he will still have. Now, um, that's the Braita. We want to expand and say, Lachar Shabbat, Mai. What if he says, I'll come back to you after Shabbat? Shabbat could mean Saturday, uh, uh, the Sabbath. It could also mean a week. Um, so um, uh, here it means a week. If I don't come back to you after a week, but a week meaning Sunday to Shabbat, so, so it could be Shabbat also, right? After Shabbat, so what is the law? Yativ to be Zerah, committed to be Aseh. Medid la to be Aseh, committed to be Yohanan. Ve'kamar, had v'shabetah, utre utlata. 
ועתר בשבתה ארבעה וחמישה ומעלה שבתה כמה שבתה. So he says that Sunday, Monday and Tuesday are all called after Shabbat. Whereas Wednesday, Thursday and Friday are all called before Shabbat. You take a week and you split it into two. And the first three days, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, are, belong to the previous Shabbat. Therefore, if someone says, I'm not, uh, here's your get if I don't come back until after Shabbat. So it doesn't mean just one minute after Shabbat. It means uh, as long as you still called after Shabbat. How long is that? That includes Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday. As long as he came back Tuesday or earlier, the get is no good. Right? He came back. He came back after Shabbat. Um, but if he, say, uh, if he says, um, I, uh, here's your get if I don't come back after Shabbat, and then he came back Wednesday. Wednesday is not already not called not called after Shabbat, right? That is before the next Shabbat, so that is too late. And this is an important halacha's effect on other things like havdalah. If you didn't say it on Saturday night, you could still say it up to Tuesday. Tanya Rabbi Omer la'hara regel shloshim yom nefakir Rabbi Chayad Rasha mishemed Rabbi vekilisu mishemed Rabbim velokilisu al malet ilcheta kevateh another brother. Says, if someone says, here is your get, if I don't come back after the holiday. How long after the holiday does he have? 30 days. So that's what the B said. Um, the B, yeah, a student went and he gave, he said, he repeated this in a public darasha. When you say something in a public darasha, everybody's there, right? Other colleagues, rabbis, students, lay people. This is this makes it an official teaching. So one time he said it in the name of Rabbi Udanasi, and everybody said Chazaku Baruch, very nice teaching, right? That's very interesting. Um, I'm glad you taught us that. Great. Um, but another another time he saw he got a good uh, response from it. So this time he upgraded instead of quoting it in the name of Rabbi, he quoted it in the name of the majority. This doesn't mean that the majority actually got a, got all the rabbis got together and voted that that would be the majority. But this is the way that you say that this is halakha lemaseh, um, you take a minority opinion and you teach it as the majority, right? It's interesting because uh, now you're not saying the Biudanasi's name, you're not giving him credit. So, you know, you, we think that that would be a negative thing, but actually it's the biggest praise, right? If you say something without attribution and you say it as the majority, that means halakha is going to follow you. So he repeated it as, as the Rabim, right? The majority of Chachamim agree with this. But they did not tell him Chazaku Baruch, right? And they said, oh, I don't know about that, right? So when you said it was a minority opinion, fine, right? This is a nice piece of Torah as a minority opinion. But they didn't agree that it is, it's a majority opinion. We can see from that reception, that feedback that Rabbi Chiyaget got that this is, although this is Rabbi Udaz opinion, the halacha does not follow that. Hadran alach that is the conclusion of the seventh pedic. And now we begin the eighth pedic. It starts as follows. Okay, a husband does not have to give the get to his wife directly in her hands. He could also throw it. And uh, if she is in her house or in her courtyard and it lands in her house or in her courtyard, that also is Megodeshit. It goes into her domain. It's into her possession. That's a valid get as well. However, if he threw it, the husband threw it into his own house or his own courtyard, even if 
he is with her in the bed and he and he threw it into to her into the bed that is no good right because that all is his domain even if he throws it onto her side of the bed, but still his domain, and therefore it's not Megodeshit. So again, I will talk about, right, this has to be something that is not joint property, because if it's joint property, the husband has possession and control over it, and so whatever goes into that, into his property, uh, is his. It has to be something that is exclusively her property, then if it goes into into that courtyard, it belongs to her. The tochka or the tochkalta hadezomegodesh. If it if he throws it into her lap or into her basket, then she is divorced. Here's a picture of a could be a basket, a basket that she's holding or a basket on her head. Um, so her body, like her hands, um, it doesn't have to be her hands. It could be that it goes into her lap or any anything that she is holding. And that also is called possession, and she is divorced. We ask, what's the source? The Pasuk says that the husband has to give a sefekiritut in her hand. So if I take that very literal, literally, then it means in her hand. Maybe it has to be literally her hand. How would I know that if he throws it into her rooftop, courtyard, other enclosure, how do we know that that's also a get? Because the verb says, Venatan, give. So give it to her as long as it gets into her possession. It doesn't necessarily have to be in her hand. And the same is true regarding a thief. The Pasuk says regarding a thief, if the thief steals something and is found in his hand, he is guilty and he has to pay double. So if you take this overly literally, so that means only if it's found in his hand, uh, not if it's somewhere else. So it says, uh, What if it's found in his courtyard, uh, his roof courtyard, or his uh, porch enclosed? How do you know? that also he would be liable because the pasuk doubles and says if it's found however it got there for example if someone's dog is wandering around and it goes into my uh, into my enclosure and then I close the gate with intention to steal it so it doesn't have to be in my hands but that's still considered stealing and therefore someone comes and finds it hey look you have it you stole my dog you put it over here in your uh, in your courtyard, so that is stealing. So we, uh, that's a similar law, uh, just like a get, does not have to be literally in her hands, but in her possession, so too stealing can be done, not literally with the hands, but also within one's possession. Usiricha, why do I need both pesukim? Can I figure out one from the other? No, I need both. If I had only regarding get, I might think that get is more inclusive. In other words, there's more ways for her to receive a get because a husband can give her a get, give his wife a get against her will. Since she gets, she can get it against her will, it makes sense that she can get it in more ways than just her hand, including her courtyard. But regarding a thief, where you cannot steal something against your will. If someone comes and stuffs something in my pocket and then says, hey, you, you stole it. I said, I didn't steal it. You stuffed it. You, you put it in my courtyard. I didn't want it. it was, I was standing there saying, go away. I don't want this. It's not mine. 
and so it cannot be uh, you cannot steal something against one's will and therefore I might have thought that only regarding a get you have the more expansive ways of getting receiving something in a courtyard but maybe not regarding a thief therefore I need the pasuk regarding thief and if you had only a ganav, I would say the Torah wants to be very stringent regarding stealing. And after all, the Torah says you have a kanas, you have to pay back double. And so regarding stealing, we have to be very stringent. And you say, oh, well, I didn't, I didn't do it with my hand, so now I don't have to pay? No, yeah, there, it makes sense that the Torah would, would include any way that you uh, steal something. But regarding a get, where you don't have that stringency of uh, extra kanas, you might think, no, a get, get has to be literally in her hands, and therefore the Torah teaches that get also can be given in a courtyard. Now we ask, well, he's going to throw it into her courtyard. Wait a second. Well, we have a rule that anything that a wife acquires is acquired by her husband, right? That's the part of the deal of marriage, that the husband has to provide for his wife everything, food, clothing, shelter, all of her needs. But whatever she acquires, anything that she makes, anything that she finds, that goes to her husband. So it's not going to help. It's just he's just basically giving it to herself. He's giving it to himself by putting it into her courtyard. Oh, we're talking about a case where, let's say she had a courtyard that she owned before marriage. She brings it into the marriage with her. So now during the marriage, the husband gets to uh, um, gets to uh, um, earn the produce, so he controls it during the marriage. That's true, um, but it was hers. So here's what the husband would have to do: he would have to write her and say, um, "I have no legal dealings, no no involvement in your property." Um, so that even see, once they get divorced, then uh, she or whatever death then she takes her property back and then she runs it and controls it, right? But he can say, just like two partners can do this, we'll see partners in a second, he can say, listen, uh, even though you brought this in, this property into, uh, into the marriage and therefore I control it during the marriage, I relinquish my rights to the property so it's yours because they are still married now. Then once then he throws the get into the into that property that belongs to her. Okay, so that's the Bialazar's explanation of how it can happen. Hold on, that doesn't work because in a similar case where you have let's say two partners that own some kind of property. And one of them says, tells, tells the other partner, listen, I have no rights, no dealings with this field or, um, uh, with, uh, with this, uh, um, uh, I have no, I have no business with this deal. My hand is removed from this field. Um, he said nothing. Why? Because let's say, you know, they own a field together and it turns out it's, uh, you know, they dig a little and they find nuclear waste, right? So now it's a big problem. It's a liability. So one of the partners says, oh, I relinquish my involvement in this field. You can't do that right now. You're going to have to, you have to pay fines. You have to clean it up. So you can't just run away from it without the agreement of the other party. So doing this is not helpful. You can't simply, with words, uh, relinquish rights to a property. And the husband and wife are, in a sense, also partners. She owned it, but he controls it. And so just, uh, just saying unilaterally, I relinquish my rights, is not enough.
אמרי דבר רבי ינאי בכותב לה ועודה ארוסה וכתריו כהנא דבר רב כהנא נחלה הבאה לא על האדם במקום אחר אדם מתנה עליה שלא יירשנה So the answer is that he wrote while they were still engaged and not they did kiddushin but not nisuin yet and he said I'm not going to take possession of this property I'm not going to um, I'm not going to uh, uh, um, run it, uh, be responsible for it. I'm not going to take the fruits uh, from it. As Rav, Rav Kana said, in a similar case of getting an inheritance, if someone gets an inheritance not from his father, but from some other, uh, some, someone else, he can say, I refuse to accept it, right? His, um, his uh, uncle has some nuclear waste uh, property, and in his will he says, I bequeath my nuclear waste field to my nephew. He says, I, I don't want that field, right? This is a, this is a, 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 this is a liability. And so he, can, he cannot accept it. Once you already own it then, with a partner, then you cannot unilaterally relinquish ownership, but you, cannot, you can refuse um, delivery uh, of it. And so just like that's true with your um, gracious uncle, um, so too it's true for um, if they're getting married. She has property that she bring into the marriage before the nisuin begins. He can write and say, I, I do not accept um, ownership or control over this property. And so that's the case that we're talking about. That's how she has her own property that she's keeping from the very beginning of the marriage. Another similar case is what Rava says. This is similar to what Rava says, that um, uh, if a person says, I do not want the takana, uh, the an order, an, an, uh, ordinance that the rabbis made for my benefit, shamin law, right? If you refuse a benefit, even though the rabbis went out of their way to give you that benefit, but you don't want it, then that's okay. For example, he says like this. What was he, what was he talking about when he said like this? Um, what Rav Huna said in the name of Rav, that the rabbis made an ordinance that a husband has to pay for his wife for food, clothing, and shelter, and in um, and uh, reciprocally, sh- anything that she makes goes to the husband or any, all of her salary. So that's a, it's a usually it's a good deal. She has automatic uh, um, uh, income promised to her, so she will never go hungry as long as the husband has a shirt on his back. He has to sell his shirt in order to provide for his wife, which says that literally in our ketubah, he has to sell the shirt off his back. Um, so that's uh, generally uh, for her benefit. However, let's say she's uh, uh, she's an important CEO. She makes more, and so she doesn't she doesn't uh, she wants to keep her salary. She's permitted to tell her husband, "I don't want your food. I don't want your sustenance." And I am not working for you. I am not giving you my salary. So the same thing, um, uh, uh, same thing here. The, uh, the the they can make a deal at the beginning of the marriage, and she can say, "Listen, I'm keeping my field, right? And uh, you will not get the produce." And if he agrees to that, so then she keeps the field. Um, that is permitted. So that's all the case that we're talking about. Okay, even though we brought Rava in as an analogy, nevertheless, Rava has a different opinion about uh, the case that we're talking about. And he says, you know, it doesn't have to be a case where it's her own field that she brought into the marriage and he stipulated from before the marriage that you will keep your own field. 
like she can keep her own salary, she can keep her own field. Um, no, we're not talking about a case like that. Rather, it's more simple because that would be a very limited uh, uh, circumstance. Rather, Rava himself says, Amar, Right, so you telling me that uh, her hand is not acquired by her husband in a regular case where the husband puts it into his wife's hand, right? It uh, doesn't, uh, anything that she makes with her hand, it doesn't that go to her husband? So how could you ever have a case where the husband puts it directly into her hands and it will go, direct, go right to the husband? How do you explain that case? Oh, it must be as follows, that she receives the get and her hand together at the same time. And since that's true for her acrophysical hand, that will be true for a courtyard that was in her name, even though the husband controls it during the marriage, as soon as the get goes into the courtyard, instantaneously, these two things happen together, she, she gains the get and is divorced, and the, and the courtyard is hers, that happens simultaneously. So, because you need them both to happen simultaneously. If she's only, only gets the divorce and then later gets the chatzed, uh, well, she doesn't get the divorce because the courtyard isn't hers. And she gets the courtyard first, but she's not divorced yet. So how, she could, how could she get the, get the, the get if she doesn't have the courtyard? But if they come exactly together, then both of them can work. So that's Rava's answer. She doesn't have to own, uh, you don't have to make a stipulation from the beginning of the marriage that this is her courtyard and he cannot have any control of it. This is in any case, she gets uh, her hand together and she gets her courtyard simultaneously with the get. So Ravina asked a question to Rav Asher that Rava, he, he was proving that a chaser must come simultaneously because her hand comes simultaneously. But um, actually those are not the same because even though her hand is given over to her husband, her husband for the work that she does, um, right? anything she earns, her earnings go to her, but her physical hand does not belong to the the husband, right? This is different from a slave that we're going to see in a second, right? Her hand belongs to herself. And so if he puts it in her hand, she does physically own her hand and she will physically then take possession of the get and then she's divorced. That's not the same as a chatzer, which uh, he is in his uh, his his um, responsibility, his um, uh, control, and anything that goes into the chatzer belongs to her chatzer, belongs to the husband while they're married. And so you can't compare the two, and there's no proof from uh, a, a wife's hand that that's the same as a chatzer, and that just like the hand happens simultaneously, so too the chatzer acquires simultaneously. Not true. He explains Rava, he, what he was troubling him was the hand of a slave, because the hand of a slave, that, even this physical hand, the physical body of a slave belongs to the owner, right? A slave is bought and sold like, like cattle. And so, according to the opinion that says a slave can acquire his own bill of emancipation on, uh, by himself. See, everyone would agree that if the owner would give someone else, here's the bill of emancipation on behalf of my slave. You give it to another person, that other person can acquire it on behalf, because it's good. Zechutullah. 
uh, on, can acquire it on behalf of that slave and will go free. But can the owner give it to the slave himself? There is an opinion that says yes. How could that work? If I give it to my slave, it's like I'm putting it in my own hand because I own the hand of the slave. Rather, it must be that the bill of emancipation of the slave and his hand are required simultaneously. Since that's true of a slave, it's also true of a courtyard of a wife, even though I'm the husband. This is my, my courtyard. I have control of the courtyard. Anything in the courtyard becomes mine. But we can say simultaneously, if I put the get in that courtyard, she acquires her courtyard and acquires the get simultaneously, and she is divorced and owns the courtyard. Good. Now a story. And guy's on his deathbed, and he wants to divorce his wife before he dies. So he writes a bill of divorce on Friday afternoon. Um, but he didn't get a chance to give it to her. And uh, and then he got worse, and he had no strength, was unable to give it to her. Generally, we don't give a get on Shabbat anyway. So they went to Ravah and they said, what should we do? This guy has no strength. He can't, he, he can't even lift his hand to give her a get. But he wants, we want him to, he wants to divorce his wife. What can we do? And he says, listen, go tell him to transfer ownership of, a, of the play. Where, where's the get? Right? It's in, the, it's in the barn. Okay. Tell him to transfer ownership of the barn to his wife. And he can do that just by saying it because he's a shechimera. And so he says, okay, the barn, right, he's, even though he can't move, the barn is yours. And then, since the barn is hers, now she can go open the door to the barn and close it and thereby acquire it by, uh, by closing the door, right? She is um, protecting what is inside and therefore it becomes hers. So in other words, you don't have to give it physically in your hand um, as long as it goes into something that is in her possession. In general, if someone locks or fences in um, uh, or breaches any amount, that's called taking possession, right? You're doing something on the land, so then you take possession of the land itself. And so here too, even though she doesn't physically touch the get, she doesn't have to. She closes the barn door, then that's hers. All right, so that was Rava's solution to that question. Ravilish tells Rava, this doesn't, doesn't work because we have a rule that anything that a woman acquires, uh, it goes back to the, to the, goes back to the husband. Anything she makes, anything she acquires, so it doesn't really help that this is, uh, they gave her the barn, it doesn't matter. It's just, so still, she's acquiring something in the barn, it still goes back to the husband. Ichsif, Rava was embarrassed. We made a mistake. And now in the end, um, they, uh, it was revealed that they weren't married with Nisuin. They only had Kiddushin. And so Rava says, oh, my ruling was right all along. Because uh, if they say regarding a Nisuah, yes, if someone is Nisuah, then anything that she acquires goes to her husband. But while before that, well, if there's only Kiddushin, then she acquires her own. Anything she acquires, she keeps. And since she was only in Arusa, and he gave her this barn, so if she closes the door of the barn, she gets the get, and it's totally fine. So you see, Rava was right all along. Well, he didn't realize the reason why. He didn't know it was Arusa, but turns out she was Arusa. And so... 
Um, uh, and, and so it was, the get was perfectly fine. But later on, when the Rava thought about it further, he said, you know what? I stick to my guns and I would have made the same ruling even if she was Nisua. Why? Because of the principle of simultaneity. She gets the get and she gets the chaser. They come together at once. And therefore, by closing the barn door, even though technically she's married and so anything she acquires goes to her husband, but the thing that she's acquiring is a get and the get separates her and, make, and, and gives her her freedom. And so as long as we say it's simultaneous so she can acquire the get, be divorced, um, at the same time, and it is a f- good acquisition. All right, so now we ask, Wait a second, I've already said this principle, that uh, that the, she gets the get and the chatzer simultaneously. And, uh, right, so how come he only came to this afterwards, after he thought, first he was embarrassed, he says, oh, I was wrong, and this way, she was, was arusa, so it's okay, and only after that, he, he realized this principle. Didn't he already say it? So why do we need this to say it again? And the answer is actually this is the original, right? This this story was the earlier story. This is where he came up with this uh, theory, um, this uh, um, uh, legal principle, and said that um, that it can happen simultaneously. So this is the source, and what we quoted um, uh, a, a few minutes ago, that was after he already recognized this principle. Now, um, so then he he taught it in general. We next analyze this, uh, the part of the Mishnah that says, Vihi betoch beta, he throws it into her house and she is in her house. Does she actually have to be in her house? Amad Ola, besad beta besad Ola says, yes, indeed, she has to be um, in or near her house or her courtyard. All right, she has to be present there, and then he doesn't have to say, give it into her hand. It can go into her house or into her courtyard, but she has to be present. says, even if she's in a different city altogether, but it's her house, her courtyard, that's totally fine, right? And again, this her courtyard, her house will be according to the explanations that we said before. Either she kept ownership with uh, from it the entire time from before Nisuin, or according to Rava, that it was it is she brought into the marriage, even if the husband controls it now and the husband takes any produce and anything that lands in it would be would be hers. But since he has the principle of simultaneity, so she can acquire her field and the get at the same time. Okay, so. Uh, Ula says she has to be present. Rabbi Oshaya says she does not need to be present. So we challenge uh, Rabbi Oshaya. It says that she has to be there, right? So what do you mean that she can be in a different city? He meet Gadeshet. Um, it is, uh, it's, this is what it means to say when it says she's in her courtyard, um, that she is, it's as if she's in her courtyard or in her house because the, um, something in the courtyard will be secured with her knowledge, right? She has a security fence, and so something is going in there and being secured, and it's with her knowledge. Therefore, um, it's, uh, she is Migurah. She doesn't have to physically be there for her chaser to do that work of, of acquisition for her, because as long as she knows and accepts 
that this is the um, home or the courtyard is accept accepting it for her. So that's what it means that she is there. She is there means that she is willing for her courtyard to accept it on her behalf. Now, Now, what's at the essence of their machloket? Maybe it's that Ula thinks that a courtyard is an extension of a hand. And just like a hand is near you, so too the courtyard has to be near you. That's why she has to be present. Whereas Rabbi Oshaya says uh, that a courtyard is an extension of a uh, of a, a messenger. Right? It's the same as the law of a messenger. And just like a messenger can be far away and still do work on my behalf, so too a courtyard can be far away but still do my work on my behalf. Now we say, no, not necessarily. Could be that all opinions say that a, uh, a courtyard is uh, similar to a hand. And just like a hand has to be nearby, so to a courtyard has to be nearby. That's the opinion of Ula. That's easy. The other side, or the would say, okay, yes, a, a courtyard is similar to a hand, but how far are you going to take this analogy? Are you going to say just like a hand is attached to your body, your courtyard has to be attached to your body? That's insane. Rather, it's like your hand in that, just like your your hand um, is secure, secures things with your knowledge. So too, a courtyard um, is is uh, uh, things that go into it are secured by her knowledge. Right? She knows. Oh yes, this is in my hand. This thing is being put in my courtyard and will be secure there. And it will only come to um, exclude a courtyard that she does not have control over, and so therefore cannot acquire something with her knowledge, and she has no control over that courtyard. So it has to be something that she has control over. Remember, a get can be given against her will. This is different from her will, right? Um, because even though she says, no, I don't want to be divorced, and he puts it in her hand or puts it in her courtyard, she still is going to be divorced. The point is that in general, her hand and her courtyard are part of her control and uh, secure things for her, right? When you get a delivery, delivery can go into your hand or if the delivery man puts it into your, onto your porch, onto your courtyard, takes a picture, see? It's in your courtyard, so therefore it is now securely delivered into your possession and that is sufficient. So um, uh, yes, it is like a hand, but it doesn't have to be a hand like it's physically attached to you or even near you. It can be anything that is acquired that's in your control and secures it on your behalf. Now, story. So you have the husband through a get into a courtyard. We'll see who owns this courtyard in a second. Um, but anyway, it didn't go into the empty space of the courtyard. It fell onto a board of wood. It's a board of wood uh, in, in the courtyard. Um, maybe it's on a stand or something, like a little table. Amar Rav Yosef, Hazenan, so Rabbi Yosef says we have to analyze, we have to measure if this board is four amot by four amot, that's big enough to be its own domain, right? It could be like a private domain. That's a domain within a domain, but that's a separate domain. And he can throw it into her courtyard, 
but he can't throw it into onto this board because the board is a separate domain from the rest of the courtyard. But if the board is small, less than four by four amot, then it does not represent its own court, its own um, uh, domain, and therefore it's just part of the courtyard and it's valid. Now we ask, what kind of courtyard are we talking about? If it's her courtyard, well then she owns everything in the courtyard as well, including a bar and a table, anything that's in the courtyard. So what if it falls on the courtyard? Rather, Is it his courtyard, the husband's? If so, then even if it's smaller than 4 by 4 it's his courtyard. Anything that falls in his courtyard goes to him. Right? We said before, there has to be something that was her courtyard. She brought it into the marriage, and that's something that will go back to her. Rather, it's talking about where the husband, it's his courtyard, but he lends it to her. He says, here, you can use my courtyard so that you can acquire something, like my get, right? This is like the story of the guy in his deathbed, right? He acquires, he um, gives her uh, um, ownership, uh, rents her ownership, use of the barn in that case. And so, therefore, he, he, he meant to, what he meant is, I'll give you a courtyard to accept your get. I'm not giving you multiple places. I'm not giving you the courtyard and the barn and also something else. And therefore, if there's some board of wood, a table, that's more than four by four, that's its own domain. That requires a separate acquisition. He didn't give that to her, lend that to her, only the empty space of the courtyard. And therefore, it's only effective if it falls in the empty space but not if it falls on something that's a separate domain from the rest of the courtyard. And this, what we said, is true only if it's not if it's less than ten tefachim high. But if it's something is that's more than ten tefachim high, even if the width is smaller than four by four, that's also considered its own domain. Something higher than ten tefachim becomes also its own domain. That's relevant for laws of Shabbat and carrying too. And that's only true if it doesn't have its own designated name. But if it has its own designated name, this board of wood, then even if it's shorter than ten tefachim, and even if it's smaller than four amot, it has its own name. For example, uh, this is, you know, you call it the, the bar where we serve uh, drinks. Uh, There's a certain table. This is, right, some kind of some item. If it's just a, a block of wood that's non-distinct, um, then, that, then that's batel. It's just part of the uh, courtyard. But if it's its own special item, and so the husband says, I'm going to let you uh, use the courtyard, the courtyard in general, to uh, acquire, that's just the empty space of the courtyard. And yeah, if there's some debris, a small board of wood, that will also be uh, part of the courtyard and can, if it falls on that, that's fine. But if it's something that's large, that's own domain or high, it's own domain, or has a designated name, and uh, then that becomes a significant item in and of itself, and the husband did not have in mind to lend her that item to acquire her get. Baruch Adonai Amen